Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Chang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders. So today we're here with hospitality veteran Brent Bolthouse and award-winning chef Michael Mina. Welcome to Gourmand. We're so excited to have you guys on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Yeah, um, we're really excited to have you both on the show today. We'd love to start out by asking about your guys' childhood and maybe how like food got into play and how you guys entered the industry. You want to go first, Mark, or you want me to go first? Your turn. <laughs> My turn. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, well, I grew up in Southern California in a small town called Joshua Tree. Made my way to Los Angeles um, when I was... Uh, 17 years old. I had recently went through, a, I went to a rehab and got sober and the halfway house I ended up in, it was in North Hollywood. And because um, I didn't really want to continue that old life I had, and I've been sober now for 35 years. Um, you know, and I really just was kind of leaving an old life and starting a new life. And, and, and I, I worked odd jobs for the first few years at a gas station. I ran drinks at a restaurant. I did some dishwashing. And <clears throat> when I was about 19 years old, um, a friend of mine approached me about starting a nightclub. And I was like, what's that? I don't even understand what that means. And I said no for a few months because I didn't really understand. I didn't really know. I mean, what do we know when we're 19? We don't know much, right? And some friends of mine convinced me to do it said he had nothing to lose right it was sort of that attitude and and we did that first nightclub in 1989 and it was a smash hit it was you know it became the it club of the summer and so that's kind of how I made my way into hospitality which was really through nightclub promoting um in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s I did that for a long time um and I think what we did that was interesting in that space is like New York was always a nightclub owner town you had, you know, the Studio 54s, you had Peter Gation, you had these Limelight, the Tunnel, you had these big institutional nightclubs owned by people who knew how to run nightclubs. And in LA, it was the complete opposite. You had like guys that had made some money, decided they wanted to open a nightclub, but had no idea how to run a nightclub. And so they would open these things, they would fail, then I would come in and bring life back into these burnout restaurants or burnout nightclub spaces. And, and in that journey, I started the special events company. You know, Janet Jackson really gave me my start. She wanted her she wanted a party because she would come to our clubs. And she's like, I hate the way the record companies do the party. They're so boring. We, can you throw one of your fun parties for us? And so that kind of parlayed me into a, a, a career of special event productions. I did that for a very, very long time until um, <clears throat> just a few years ago. You know, in that journey, I partnered with Sam Nazarian at SBE and I was his first partner. And that's where I met Michael. We, we were doing some things wow. together and he launched his first restaurant in Los Angeles 12, 13 years ago and called 14. We became friends there um, in that process. And we really, I think we're like-minded people and we saw hospitality sort of in the same vein. Um, and we always kind of like nudged each other like, oh yeah, we'll do something again together one day. <laughs> it was just kind of like, yeah. And I always said, you know, I'm terrible at running restaurants. I'm great at running bars and nightclubs. And I said, if I ever did it, I would do it with Michael. Just is like a, this is like what people would ask me if I was ever getting back in the restaurant business. And, <clears throat> you know, here we are some years later, um, you know, I started the bungalow in Santa Monica 10 years ago, which is this juggernaut of a, probably one of the best bars in Southern California. Uh, and here we are now to, 
you know, weeks away from opening Bungalow Kitchen in Tiburon, which was the sister brand to the Bungalow Bars, which I think is this nice marriage because I think Michael's really known for culinary service, award-winning dishes. Um, but Michael's not really known where you go have a nightcap and have a fun night out, right? And we're so known for that. We figured, how can we bring some of the mojo of the bungalow into the MENA hospitality experience and really create this thing that everyone talks about, which is social dining. Right. Yeah. And you, I mean, you touched on so many interesting things that I'm sure we'll come back to, um, you know, like how things that you may lay the groundwork for years before finally come to fruition. And um, you mentioned shifting during, during the pandemic, which we'd love to talk about. But uh, first, Chef Mina, I'd love to hear a little bit about your kind of backstory and entry into the food world. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, well, Brent is really exciting. It actually went first. <laughs> um, uh, well, thanks again for having us. So, you know, so I got into this business so I could get into Brent's clubs. <laughs> no one can get past the door. So I figured if I was a chef, you know, they, he'd let me in. <laughs> Smart plan. <laughs> Did it work? Yes. <laughs> no, I, um, you know, I think that, you know, I, a lot of people's journeys that, you know, are in our industry that are, you know, around my age, um, it's a little, it's a little bit different now, but I think a lot of people, you know, that I know a lot of my close friends that are chefs, restaurateurs, things of that nature, start really humbly, you know, usually starts out as a job and, you know, it's a, you know, I started when I was 13 as, as a dishwasher in a restaurant, you know, and, um, and, you know, food and restaurants were always part of my life. I grew up in a small town in Washington state and, um, I was born in Egypt in Cairo. And so a Middle Eastern family and grew up in a very Middle Eastern household, um, in the sense of, you know, my mom had seven brothers and sisters that were all within, you know, 20, 30 miles of us. And so you know, every day, you know, every weekend was, you know, 30 people at a house and table kind of full of food all day long. And, you know, you, uh, you know, in those type of households, it's, uh, it's, uh, starts out as, you know, everyone's laughing and having lunch and pretty soon everyone's fighting and they're crying and screaming at each other. Then they're laughing again and having fun. And, and I realized that there was something just really magical about, you know, about it, about food, about life, about, you know, sharing food with people and, and that there was a, a real family element to it. And so early on, I wasn't like I was working at any prestigious restaurant when I was a little kid, I was, you know, 13 or 14, but, but what I did find right away was even this little restaurant was a family, you know, most of all was the food. It was that feeling of, so, you know, I, worked really hard to, you know, learn how to cook um, at this little place. And, and, you know, I just remember th the simplest thing, you know, making a perfect hamburger and taking it to somebody and watching them eat it and what was seeing the, the pleasure of, you know, what food does to people. And, and then there's a lot of creativity and thought that has to go into it. And when you put all those things together, it, it quickly becomes something you're either, you know, basically in love with and addicted to, or it's something that you don't want to go anywhere near. And it really depends on what kind of person you are. For me, it was like, well, how do I really actually make a career out of this? You know, when I fell in love with it and 
I went to the Culinary Institute of America in 80, uh, 87. And so what was really cool was I got to, you know, what I, while I was in my last year of the Culinary Institute of America, I really got to see what my education was going to do for me. And not like in, oh, you know, you get to go kind of hang out and, you know, stand in a corner or whatever. It wasn't like that. I had already, you know, worked for this guy. He was a hard ass and, and he threw me right into the fire. You know, literally the first day of work, I think I got a gallon of creme anglaise poured over my head because it was on the <laughs> wasn't mine and and it was sour <laughs> and said the chat I said to the chef it wasn't mine and he's like it's on your station he's like it's yours now and he poured it over my head <laughs> and uh, oh, wow and, that's crazy and, you know and so you you know quickly started to you know really get an, an understanding of what it was going to be like and got the opportunity to move to San Francisco which is where I always wanted to live I that was kind of my dream was always to be a chef in San Francisco. And, and I got an opportunity um, from a customer that used to come into Oriel all the time. And he said that he wanted his accountant own this dive sports bar. And he said he wanted to turn it into, you know, a fine dining restaurant in San Francisco. So I said, okay, you know, um, let me go check it out. And I went and checked it out and he said he was going to put a few hundred grand into it or something. It was a dive sports bar. I was like, this is, you know, not going to work. But when I was there, I talked to the concierge at the hotel I was staying at. And I said, you know, I want to go to a great, so you go to San Francisco, you think seafood. So I want to go to a great fish restaurant. And I want to go to something like a La Bernadette. I was like, what's a great fish restaurant? And I said, there's nothing like that in San Francisco. So that can't be true. And it was true at the time there wasn't. And so, did, you know, put together a concept called Aqua and presented it to the investor and he went for it. And, um, and so the second day I lived there, I moved there in 89 one day. And the second day I lived there was the earthquake. And so I was oh, there for one day, I signed a lease and day two was the earthquake. No. <laughs> so it took two years to, and Brent, this is how sad it is. The earthquake, it took two years. Cause like, I had to, you know, it was like, oh, you want to build a restaurant, but Charles Schwab needs to rebuild their building. You know, here's the back of the line, right? And it's still, we got it built before it tibber. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, it's, it's been quite the journey getting Tiburon <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> and so, you know, so the restaurant opened and we had a really a philosophy that we were going to, you know, be a, you know, going to have food at the level of, you know, we wanted four-star, you know, we want to be one of the only two four-star restaurants in the city, but we didn't want to be a whisper joint. We didn't want it to be 40 seats. We wanted a big bustling bar. I wanted to do 500 people a day. I wanted it to be a party. And that was unheard of at the time. And there, there just wasn't restaurants that were designed like that, that looked like that, that were trying to achieve four stars. So when we finally achieved four stars, it took a couple of years, it was a big deal because there really hadn't that style of restaurant didn't exist at that time in San Francisco. And um, that's kind of started the journey and, and, you know, ended up opening, you know, we have 40 restaurants now and really, you know, the, probably the part that's the most satisfying is we kind of wanted to build a business where we could do these really exciting partnerships and, and I think that's exactly how this happened is you find great people 
And, um, and so that's what I think is really compelling and fun about this relationship is we're, you know, at the beginning, honestly, we're at the beginning stages of it in a lot of ways because of the pandemic, even though we've known each other for so long, we've been friends for so long, we've talked about it for so long, we've only been operating, you know, for uh, a little under a year, right, in, Bel in Belmont Shores. And now we're just about to open Tiburon. And so it's a really the start of a really exciting, you know, journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, thanks so much for sharing that. I mean, it all sounds really, really exciting. It's so cool to hear um, kind of how you started out in the industry. Um, I did my high school uh, senior thesis paper on fine dining and my first ever fine dining meals was at your restaurant, like the level of hospitality and service and food was incredible um and it's so exciting to hear um how you guys met in uh this next kind of chapter of what you guys are working on um i would love to hear a little bit more about your guys's vision for bungalow kitchen why you guys chose tiburon and kind of what it's been like um operating and trying to get this restaurant off the ground so interestingly enough um there was a, a, a friend of old friend of michael's who's a real estate broker that who actually helped us do the second bungalow in Huntington Beach. Um, had talked to Michael and talked to me about a location in Tiburon and it just turned out that our landlord in Tiburon was one of the um, big money pieces in our location in Huntington Beach so I kind of had a relationship with them because they were coming in and you know all the owners of that that center were like coming in and checking it out and they knew they knew what we were doing and they kind of <clears throat> said hey why don't you do a bungalow literally Michael and Patrick were there who's his president and it was just like, hey, great, you know, seeing old friends, it was awesome. And we talked and we kind of, we both kind of looked around that space. And I think we, we kind of both landed on the same idea. Like I was like, upstairs is too small for a bungalow. And Michael's like, I think downstairs is too small for a restaurant. So we kind of left and then, you know, we, we kept talking and we, and we kind of just came up with this idea of like, well, what if we do something together and we take the whole space run? And so where we landed was, I kind of looked at Tiburon in the same way. Um, like Nobu looked at Malibu 10 years ago, right? When they moved Nobu from the little strip mall to PCH, nobody thought they were going to do $25 million, right? And be one of the busiest restaurants in California. Um, and so I looked at Tiburon in a similar way where it's, there's so much affluence around us. It's, it's, it's become this darling of the tech community, buying houses on the hills and looking at the bay. It's so majestic. And so I took Michael and Patrick and our landlord down there and said, guys, if we're going to do something really with this iconic location, what sits on a dock looking at the San Francisco Bay and our neighbors are the most affluent people, some of them in the country, we have to build a jewel box that wows these people. There's no other place in, I can point to. Malibu has 9,000 people that live in that, sound, in that city, right? And those two places are packed all seven days a week. And so I was like, listen, it's worked here and lightning can strike twice. And I said, Tiburon to me feels very similar. There's never been a reason for the San Francisco community and Mill Valley to like come to Tiburon, except for if you're going on a bike ride and you wanted a beautiful time down the coast. Like it was just, there was not a culinary excuse. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, I, I talked to Michael and I said, so I said, I think we should call it bungalow kitchen because it infuses the Mina 
with something that people in San Francisco, a lot of people, when they come to Santa Monica, they go there. And a lot of, even some of our investors are like, oh, I've been there a bunch of times. We love the bungalow. Like, so it's definitely resonated in, Cal- in Southern California up to Northern California. So it was like, oh, kind of setting the table like, oh, this place is going to be fun. We kind of landed on that. And, and, and Michael trusted me enough to think that that was my instinct. Um, and I think that's what makes our partnership great. Like I have instincts. Michael has instincts on food and service. And, and we don't really get in each other's lanes. Like if I'm like, hey, I think this is what we should do. I'm like, okay, I trust you. And that's kind of how Bungalow Kitchen was, was birthed. Um, and that was four, over four years ago. It's been a long oh, wow. journey. That is the story. When, of is, when is opening day? Um, November 5th, 4th? 4th. So soon. Fourth. Wow. Yeah. So exciting. Um, yeah, and amazing <clears> to hear that story. And I would also love to hear more than from you, Chef Mina, about kind of the approach to the food and that whole side of it. Um, I think it's, yeah. like you said, it's amazing that you guys are coming from these two different directions and collaborating in this way. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think you know, it, it was really interesting because it took a while to land on what the food concept was going to be. And it's, and it's interesting because it was right there all along when you, when we finally did land on it. So what we kind of, you know, quickly realized is this isn't, um, you know, uh, this restaurant, I told, I've told everyone of my friends out there is I said, you're going to owe us. We are doing you an enormous favor. I said, you're never going to have to throw a party at your house again. And I said, you know, the level of how what Brent was talking about with the design and the thought process behind it was that this was feels very residential. Um, it's the type of place that you're going to feel very comfortable that you want to be able to come and really make it feel like your home. And, and I think that kind of the magic is you're going to feel like you're a member of this, but we're not charging membership for it. And it's going to feel like, you know, it's going to feel like your home. Well, you can't have it be a steakhouse if it's going to be your home because you're not going to eat steak seven days a week, right? So the cuisine and what was really important about it, and I was like, it's so perfect because of everything, because of where Brent has been and where I've been, the cuisine, it needs to be California cuisine. And that's a term that, you know, was popular for a long time. And then, you know, people kind of still try to figure out exactly what does that mean? And, and it, what it really means, what it really comes down to, California cuisine is kind of born off very product-driven food because of the, pro- because of the depth of product. Um, but there isn't the boundaries of it's Italian, it's Japanese, it's French, it's, you know, it's really product and technique-driven food. And that's what California mm-hmm. cuisine has always been about is, you know, it's more of a lifestyle, it's more of a feel. And that's exactly what the food's going to be. I mean, you're going to be able to get a, you know, a delicious pizza and a delicious pasta and a filo crusted Dover sole that, you know, you yeah. know, the levels of what the food is going to be is going to be the t- same type of thing as if you were at home, you're not going to eat, you know, the same meal every day. And we don't want you to do that. We don't want you to even eat the same you know, really the same, you know, ethnicity of food every day. We want it to be product driven. We want it to be quality driven and more than anything else, seasonality and just have great seasonality, but most of all comfort and not comfort food in the sense of what, where people, and I think comfort food, the term has evolved. You know, I think people used to think of comfort food as heavy food, you know, like 
you know, meat and potatoes and things like that were comfort food. I think I look at comfort food now as food, you know, that you want to eat multiple times a week. That's the, you know, the, the, the menu will be California cuisine. It'll be very product driven, very technique driven, very seasonal. And one thing that we did when we were talking about the menu was what was important to me was in accessibility, right? Because the bungalow is an all-inclusive place. There's no doorman. Everyone comes in and it's just a place. And what we see with the, with the bungalow brands and the bars is sometimes you see people three or four times a week and you're just like, they're there. So it was, it was that idea of like, this is an extension of your living room, right? It's an extension of your life. It's where you celebrate life. And so that, you know, I was, it was important to me that, that the food wasn't just in one lane so that you felt like it was a special place you had to go just for that thing. It was like, no, you can just come in. If you feel like you're having a pizza on Wednesday night, you go get a pizza. I promise you we're going to have the best pizza in Tiburon, right? And so that's great. And you could sit at the bar and have a pizza and get out of there. Or you could come on Saturday for Bill's 50th birthday party and you're in a private area having a thing and you're having steak and lobster. And that happens too. It's kind of that gamut of like what happens across the boards when you celebrate life. Because sometimes celebrating life is intimate with two people. Sometimes it's with 15 people and sometimes it's with 100 people, right? So we wanted to be able to have all of those things accessible in the bungalow kitchen. And Michael said it perfectly when it was like, we, you know, we did model it after a private membership club without the membership. And our membership is the community that we serve, right? We want to be an extension of the Tiburon community and the Mill Valley community and the San Francisco community of like, no, this is a great place. And I think there's been enough, I think there's never been a restaurant like this in San Francisco. And Michael could say it, I've never seen, I think it's one of them. It's going to be an iconic restaurant. I hope knock on wood, maybe one of the most iconic restaurants in America. You know, maybe I'm speaking boldly, but I think our location is, and the view and just what we have, I think we have something so special. I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, no, that's so exciting. Um, and I love that idea of having that sort of flexibility, um, but still kind of maintaining a, a core ethos or like a core value system about what it means to celebrate something and um, how hospitality can feed into that. Um, and so starting to wrap up, we'd love to hear um, from each of you. Um, most of our audience, I would say, is like young students looking to get into restaurants and hospitality. Um, what advice you would give um, someone either wanting to be an aspiring chef or someone working um, on the other sides of the business? Look, I, I mean, I think that, you know, our business has become so multifaceted. I think one of the things that people, you know, sometimes forget is what the name of the industry is. They don't call it the cooking industry. They call it the hospitality industry. And, you know, to really be rewarded in this industry, I think you, you know, there's people that have that gene and they're, they're hospitable and they like to please others and they like to do that. Um, and I think that, you know, those people that I've always seen prosper in this industry. And the, when I look at you know, when I look at, you know, starting with chefs, when I look at chefs that generation after generation have stayed relevant, whether it's Danielle Ballou or Wolfgang Puck or, you know, you name it, John George, they're amazing chefs, but they're, they're extremely, they're still, to this day, you do an event with them, they're still so paranoid about not, all of us are that the dish isn't going to come out right or anything because they want to please people, right? And so first and foremost, go work in a restaurant. 
just go work at a restaurant and go work in four or five restaurants while you're going to school. Don't make the decision that you want to be in this business and say, I'm going to start by going to school because you don't need to. You don't need to make that decision. What you need to do is make the decision you want to do it because you don't, you're not going to go to school till you're 18 anyhow. So start working when you're 14 or 15 in a restaurant because especially nowadays, anyone will hire you. So every restaurant's looking for people. So go work in a restaurant and you will know within three or four months, you'll know if you're that a person that's going to be able to have the longevity to, to stick it out. And for me, I really feel like, like in most, in, in, in most careers, it's, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is yeah. in, in hospitality, you get knocked off the horse a lot and you've got to be able to get back on the horse and continue moving forward. You know, there's always, you know, I've, I've, I've closed a handful of restaurants in my career. Um, it's, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Right. And you have to have some thick skin because it is, it is hard <clears throat> to continue. And, and, you know, I, I kind of always use the analogy of like, I don't know what it, Abraham Lincoln ran for office 40 times or whatever. And, he got it on the 43rd time. Like, well, what if he quit on the 27th time? Right. Like you're just like, you just don't know when that magic is going to come together and all the stars are going to align and something is going to happen. But if you sort of greet the universe humbly and gratefully that you have this position and, you know, I believe that things can move and doors can open and Michael can meet a guy who is going to have a, give him a hundred grand for a sports bar. And then he turns it into aqua because he had a vision and that door was opened. And Michael took the chance to sell, to, to convince him and give him the vision of what something could be. And I, I'll just say one more thing. And, and, and the other thing that I try to do, and maybe this is my secret sauce. I shouldn't give it away. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really obsessed on the subconscious mind because the conscious mind handles about 10% of what we do in our lives. And the other 90% is handled by the subconscious mind. So if you can tap into the subconscious mind, you win the game because um, I, I, I read a Harvard uh, medical journey study years ago about music and how music, if it's not aligned right or done right or has a delay or sounds wrong, the brain wants to make it right kind of like we have LASIK, right? One eye see close, mm -hmm. one eye see your brain pricks it. And I read that and I was like, oh, wow. And what the study showed is that that creates when the music's not right and it's all time messed up or you can't hear it right because your brain wants to hear the music, it gives micro headaches. Now, it's not enough headache that you maybe not even take aspirin for it, but it's enough of an annoyance to your system that you go, I don't know why I don't I just don't like that place I don't know why I don't know I don't know I just don't feel it right so I took the opposite approach of like how do we get the subconscious mind to be like I love it there hmm. I don't know why I can't put my finger on it but it's just awesome because then you have the biggest part of your brain supporting your inertia towards that place and you're going there and I think so many people in the restaurant space and in hospitality don't think the lighting's important or the music's important it's like or the all of, but it's all important because we are these sensory beings that want things in a certain way. I mean, there's tons of scientific studies that like take a person, put them in a city, and then you take them and put them in a forest and they calm naturally 
serotonin happens in a natural environment just from the, your eyes seeing it it calms you down and you get happier that's just a fact right and so we are sensory beings that love to see beautiful things and we and and our system re responds to that in a very powerful way that i think you know so many times i go into so many restaurants I'm like god it's not even hard to make these little changes but we could just we can make this so much better with just a little bit of effort so that's the way i kind of see the world too yeah yeah no that's <clears throat> fascinating to hear um and thanks for sharing your special <laughs> secret sauce um for our listeners and so the last little segment that we do is what we call the quick fire tasting menu it's just a speed round of a few questions um and we just ask you to say kind of the first thing that comes to mind so the first question is and kind of inspired by the conversation we just had what is your favorite comfort food you go michael Oh, me? Burger. <laughs> um, Perfect. Oh, my God. Favorite comfort food. I mean, I, I love the spicy tuna royal nobu. Um, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Nikola Tesla. Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one is, who is someone in the food or hospitality industry um, or an adjacent industry who you think is doing something really cool you want to shout out? Like Michael said, I love John George. I think everything that he does is like from Spice Market to his signature restaurant to ABC Kitchen. Like, I just think he is, he's really um, so great at that. All those different palettes that are so done so, so well. I'm really, I'm a fan of his. And Michael Mina, of course, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I, that's a, that's always an, that's always an interesting one. Um, you know, when it, I, I usually stay away from it when it comes to food, because there's so many, there's so many people that, you know, and it's really picking a cuisine and, um, but I, I usually would say that I would go back to, I'm going to kind of flip the question back to a person that I, you know, I think had so much influence over food in the united states that never really got the credit for it that all the chefs kind of looked up to and unfortunately passed away way too early was john louis paladin he was the youngest three michelin star chef to ever get three three stars in france and moved to the united states which i'm sure rubbed a lot of people in france the wrong way and mm -hmm. um, you know came to the united states and i think so many you know he was so passionate about food and had such a big impact on so many chefs and nobody really, you know, uh, knows it anymore. And so whenever I'm asked this question, I usually say, you know, um, there's people that are, there's so many people doing amazing things now, but the foundation that it came from was a handful of people that really, you know, had a lot to do with why food is where it is in the United States. And he's one that kind of got lost. Yeah. No, that's a great way to flip the question and kind of a great way to end up thinking back to the foundations of the industry and where we are now. Um, so yeah, thank you both so much again for taking the time to chat with us. This was, it was fascinating to hear about both of you individually and then also about this new venture that is opening so soon in Tipron and best of luck and so excited to see what happens. Come to California. I know. I've actually never been to California, which is Come pretty on. crazy. That's I know. Crazy. I know. 
Um, so I think postgrad is probably one of the first places I need to visit. Just come to San Francisco, drive down the coast. You won't regret it. It's one of the most beautiful drives in the entire world. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, and we're super excited for your new opening and hope that we can make it out there um, sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, ladies. And that's a wrap on our episode with Michael Mina and Brent Bolthouse. Be sure to check out their new restaurant opening in Tiburon on November 3rd called Bungalow Kitchen. Um, you can keep up with all things Bungalow Kitchen at Bungalow Kitchen Tiburon on Instagram. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand.